guys. Hey, before the message, I uh, have the Joneses up here with me. They are the directors of the Antioch Discipleship School. And they're going to, yeah, they're incredible. You can clap for them. Uh, they're going <laughs> to... They're going to share just for a second um, give a little plug for the discipleship school. So take it away, guys. Hey, guys. Welcome to church this morning. We love you, too. Um, we're the Joneses, like Mitchell said, and we are the directors of the discipleship school through our church. And this is a school where you give 10 months of your life to see what Jesus will do with it, and it usually ends in a result of your life being completely transformed by him, and it's just, it's a 10-month school to give yourself to see and, and to set up a course of your life of following Jesus, not for 10 months, but for the rest of your life, and it's doing it while you're working at least 20 hours a week or going to school, and so it's not like, hey, quit everything else and just focus on Jesus for 10 months and then go and start all those things back, but it's like, let's figure out how to follow Jesus together with community, passionately, um, while you're doing those things so that it's sustainable for your whole life. And um, if you need a testimony from it, there are like 18 people in this room that also did ADS this past year, and it transformed their lives, and they would love to tell you about it. Yeah, so for me, and for me personally, a testimony that it was for me in my life was um, I came out of college, and I knew I was going to follow God I, like, knew I was going to follow God for my, the rest of my life, but I didn't really know what it was going to look like. And so the disciplines that in ADS that they, we have you do, which is, like, reading the Bible or spending time with God and reading books and working out, there's all these different things that are literally required every single week. I, you're, like, forced to do them for nine or ten months. And for me, I was like, okay, I know I'm going to follow God, but I don't really know practically what it's going to look like. And at the end of ADS, I was like, oh, now I know practically what it's going to look like. And that was like five or six years ago when I did ADS. I'm still doing all of those disciplines very regularly in my life now. And I know that my relationship with Jesus looks completely different than it would have if I would not have done ADS because I have the practicals, like I'm equipped with the practicals on how to do it. And so it is... <clears throat> an opportunity for, to pursue God on a whole different level, to get in community on a whole different level, to build relationships, to live on mission. You're sharing the gospel weekly. It's like challenging from every single level, but it just like does something so deep in you that it really does change your life. And so if you are interested or curious about ADS, please come talk to us. Applications are open starting in like just a few weeks. And so if you're feeling like, let's just do it, then talk to us. We would love to talk to you. Also talk to anyone in this room that's done it. They'll probably tell you the same thing. And yeah, so we would love for you to join in and do ADS. Talk to us whenever you get the chance. Talk to Larry. He'll be here after church. I'll be in the baby room. You can come knock on the door if you want to. But that's all. We'd love for y'all to do ADS. Let's get up for these guys. Thanks, y'all. They do an incredible job leading and studying that class. So, so thankful for the Joneses. Okay, uh, the last thing before we jump into the message. So, um, we, uh, last maybe two weeks, did a little uh, incentive to sign up for World Mandate. And so everybody say World Mandate. Woo! If you don't know what that is, um, World Mandate is a conference that Antioch puts on every year. And it's, uh, all bun- a whole bunch of Antiochs gather together to worship God, to hear teachings that stir our faith, and get motivated again about what's our role to play and what God's doing around the world. Like Our life actually can make an impact and difference with what God's doing around the world. And so... Um, Registration is available, still open, but we said if you signed up before September 1st, which was this past Wednesday, then your name would be put in a little drawing to win a $50 Onyx gift card, okay? So we got a little uh, Onyx cup and the gift card's in there, right, Maggie? All right, so if you signed up, your name is in here. I'm going to draw it right now, 
So, and if they're not here, we didn't talk about this. We'll still give it to them? Ah, oh, should have been like in person only. But anyways, okay, we also, just so you know, we took out everybody that's on staff. We took their names out. So my name's not in here, but I did sign up. Okay, you ready? I got it right here. Or maybe I should just eliminate 49. I'm just kidding. All right. You ready? Dude, your heart's beating fast. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? <laughs> Mackenzie Reum, <laughs> which is <laughs> Parker's wife. We'll give it for, to Parker. Come grab this, bro. You, she's in the baby room, right? Wow. Wow. Give it up for the Reams one more time. You guys won. Let's go. Let's go. Bro, hey, let's get coffee this week, Parker. Let's catch up. Let's see. How you doing, man? How married life is and stuff? It's awesome. Congratulations, guys. Well, hey, y'all can still sign up. It's going to be a powerful weekend, October 1st and 2nd. And uh, it's going to be just a set-apart time of extended worship times. Hearing, again, powerful teachings that really stir our faith. So sign up if you haven't already. You will not regret going to World Mandate. Okay, but let's jump into the message this morning. So last week, uh, how many of you guys, raise your hand if you were here last week. I know several of you were. Okay, awesome. Hands down. We started a series that we are titling, Worthy is the Lamb. How many of you guys believe the Lamb of God is worthy of our worship? Yeah? So we, we get this title from Revelation 5.12. It says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You know what a good summary of that is? Worthy is the Lamb of everything, of literally anything and everything you could possibly think of. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is worthy. And so through this series, my hope is that we, again, discover how worthy he is. Now, one of the ways we're going to do that is over several weeks, we're going to pick, a, pick out an, a particular attribute of God and describe why he's so worthy because of this. But, however, you need to hear this. I, I stressed this last week. God is not worthy primarily just because of all of his attributes, Okay, I want you to just think about this for a second. God is worthy because he is. God is worthy, and we should treat him as worthy of everything because he created us, and we would not exist apart from him. So no matter what he's like, you and I are the creation. He is the creator. Therefore, he is worthy. That's literally what the, answer, the main answer the Bible gives us. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for, everybody say for, which means because, why? Because you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. He is worthy because he created everything. We literally exist because of him. You and I would not exist if it wasn't for God creating us. We exist for him. He does not exist for us. He is not a product of our imagination. We're just trying to make him look good. No, 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 no. We are literally made in his image. Anything about his character only adds to his worth so when you he could be like anything but when you discover how amazing he is how awesome he is how holy he is how pure he is how humble he is it just makes us say oh yep true still true you're worthy worthy is the lamb and so my hope is through this series that we get a renewed sense of awe everybody say awe a renewed sense of awe. <laughs> not awe no no a-w-e awe wonder amazement being stunned by who he is so after I laid that foundation last week, I built upon that by saying that God is worthy because he is holy. So last week I talked about his holiness. And we looked at three characters in the Bible that encountered his holiness. Uh, Joshua, Isaiah, John, you know what they all three had in common when they encountered his holiness? 
bump, <laughs> fell on their face in absolute surrender and worship to the Lord. And I explained that when we're saying God's holy, what we're saying is that he's completely set apart. He's completely other than. Also, that he's different than us. He's not just like us. And also, third, that we have much more to know about him than we currently do. And the action point from last week's message was really simple. It was really easy. Really, like, just like two words, okay? It's like, okay, God's so holy, so what does that mean for us? I just read 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. It says, because, but he who called us is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So your to-do this past week was be holy. How'd it go? Was it good? <laughs> it was humbling for me. Oh, man, that's our to-do, just be holy. I hope it went good. Why don't you ask your neighbor, how'd it go being holy? Go ahead and ask him, ask him. How'd it go being holy? It's awesome. It's supposed to be humbling. This is good. Hey, a quick comment about the holiness of God and, and us living a holy life. Just to remind us, you know, us being holy doesn't start with our, our to-do list. It doesn't start with our uh, do's and don'ts list. Living a holy life starts with revelation of God as holy. Because when we realize how holy and set apart and perfectly pure he is, it's going to do something in our hearts that makes us respond with, man, I, I want to be marked by this holy God. I want to be changed by this holy God. And then from that place of revelation of his holiness, then we repent, we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we walk out in community with others around us, how we can grow and become more and more like him. But this morning, we're not going to talk about um, his holiness, though what I'm talking about, I think, flows from his holiness. This morning, we're going to talk about another reason why Jesus is so worthy, and it's because he is so humble. So this morning, we're going to talk about the humility of Jesus. You guys ready for that? How many of you guys know that Jesus is so humble? And I'm hopeful that we discover more and more about that this morning. So y'all pray with me and ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord, we thank you that you're in this room. We need you. I pray that you would open our eyes to see who you are. Reveal to us, Lord, your humility in a fresh way. We, we believe it. We acknowledge it in this room. I know many of us just know you're so humble. But Lord, I pray that it would mark us in a fresh way today. We'd be stunned by your humility. We would leave here knowing that you're more humble than we thought you were. And Lord, I pray that as we gaze upon and behold your humility, it would change us. It would mark us. You would do something in us this morning that really lasts forever. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Okay, let me, let me start with uh, this. This is a verse that I read several years ago about the humility of God. It's from Psalm 113, verse 4 through 6. I'm going to read it in the New King James Version. Here's what it says about the Lord. It says, The Lord is high above all nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? So here's how this verse starts. You can keep that up here for a minute. Here's how this starts. It talks about how high and glorious and amazing and above God is. And then it describes something that he does. It says he humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and the earth. So get this. God is so great, so much bigger than we can imagine. It takes humility for him to look at us. It takes humility for God to look. Behold means to look on. 
literally even the things he made. Because he's so big, he's so glorious, he's so holy, it takes humility for him to open his eyes and to begin to look at us. That's how holy God is. That's how glorious he is. Now, here's a point that I want to make where we start this thing off, right, is when we understand God's greatness, his vastness, his bigness, how glorious he is, then we will begin to start, then we will begin to understand his humility. Understanding God's humility starts with understanding how big he is. If we have a low view of God, we won't see that everything he literally does is humble. Like the fact that you and I can even talk about him right now is a display of his humility. The fact that we can even sing to him, the fact that we can actually acknowledge in our mind or in our heart that he's with us, it, literally everything about him flows from this place of humility. We wouldn't, he, it takes humility for him to even look at us. Now let me define the word humility and humble for a little bit. I'm going to teach you some Hebrew and Greek. You're going to learn a lot of this throughout this series. I'm going to use some words here that you probably don't use in your normal everyday life. So here we go. There's a little slide that has Hebrew and Greek on there. So the Hebrew word for humility is sepel, which is to, become, to be or to become low, to sink, to lay or bring low, to set in a lower place. In the New Testament in the Greek, this word, word tapianos, not rising far from the ground, modest opinion of oneself and devoid of haughtiness. So keep that up for a little bit. Let it sink in. Read through that. It's, when we're talking about humility and his humility, it means going really, really, really low. I love that second one in the Greek, not rising far from the ground. And it's also not just like a position, but it's a mindset where we're not thinking highly of ourselves. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that you condemn yourself and you beat yourself up and think you're a horrible person. That's not humility. That's called self-abasement. We're not, we're not going down that road. It's just going really, really, really low. And as we are going to see in just a minute, the life of Jesus, what you're going to notice is that he went really, really, really low. He was the most humble person that's ever walked the planet. So let's look at this. Let's talk about the humility of Jesus. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Philippians chapter 2. You can also pull it up on your phone if you want. It will be on the screen just a minute here. But we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2 in just a second. But as we look at and talk about the humility of Jesus, I want us to remember that as we do this, I want us again just to, to look at Jesus and be in awe of him. Before we get too, too quickly into the practicals of how do I walk this out personally, I want us to first start with being wowed and amazed at his humility. Okay, so I mentioned this last week, but 2 Corinthians 3.18 gives us this principle that when we take time to really consider and think about God, like he begins to transform us by simply us taking the time to meditate on him. Look what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. It says, we are with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Let's stop there. Beholding the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you guys see that? When we behold or look at the Lord, we're like, God, you are so glorious. God, you're so holy. God, you're so humble. If we just stare at his humility for a second, what begins to happen? We begin to be what? Transformed, changed. Something happens on the inside of us when we encounter how holy or how humble, in this case, the Lord is. The Holy Spirit begins to transform us and change us. 
You guys tracking with me here? So that's what I want us to do as I look at this little, as we look at this little example from Philippians 2. Just like, I'm going to intentionally read it kind of slow. I'm, not, I'm trying not to say too much. <laughs> that's hard for me sometimes. And we're going to just like, wow, Lord, you're humble. So let's look at this. Philippians chapter 2. You guys there? You there? Start in verse 5. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore, we, we know this one. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Anybody thankful for Jesus this morning? <laughs> He's so amazing. When I, when I verse 9 through, uh, what is that, 11, I will pray that verse sometimes. I'll shout it sometimes. Like, yeah, you're the name above every name. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. I'm sh- like, yeah, I, what I think about is I think about the power and the glory in the infiniteness of, of Jesus. But I just want us to see, like, right before that, it just talks about how humble he is. And it's through his humility that he has this great, powerful, high name. So let's pull a few things out from this. Verse 6. Again, we're just looking at Jesus, and I want us to be in awe for a second. Verse 6. He's in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus is fully God, fully man. Dwelt with the Father from the very beginning. And you, you see little glimpses of him while he was in the Gospels when he brought those three disciples up on that Mount of Transfiguration. Nod your head if you're familiar with this story. If not, that's okay. But Matthew 16 is a good example of that. And for a second, just a few seconds, he kind of lifts the veil off of Peter, James, and John's eyes. And they're seeing him shine brightly in his glory and his majesty talking to elijah and moses law and the representing the law and the prophets is this moment of glory then later on in the book of revelation you see him like unveiling his glorious image this is who jesus is he is god he is glorious and he is weighty but look what he did look what it says he didn't do he didn't consider equality with god something to be grasped what that word means and some of your translations might say it a little differently he didn't hold on to the fact that he was God, and use it against people. Though he had every right to, though it was true that he is full in his glory, he has all power. Literally, the very breath that we are breathing is held together by him. He didn't hold on to that and use that against people. He never had the mindset, like, how, how dare you? ask me that how dare you question me you know there's people that challenged jesus there's people that questioned him there's people that came against him but you don't ever see him respond with do you know who i am how dare you this was an amazing display of his humility and i think of i'm convicted when i think about this as i think about the ways that i hold on to the fact that in my household i'm i'm the dad I'm the authority, and my children are the children. I think of, oh, God, how much I, I can use, how easy it is for me to use that against someone under me. But, oh, Jesus didn't. 
We never have that mindset. Let's keep going. Verse 7 says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself, which means he gave up his self. He never stopped being God, but he gave up that power. But he also he gave up his time. He gave up his reputation. He served, and he did the lowest tasks. He didn't, you don't ever see him have this mindset or, or act this way where I'm, I'm too important. I'm too busy. That thing's too insignificant for me, or I'm above that. He emptied himself. You guys thankful that Jesus emptied himself? He served us. It's amazing. Look at verse 8 here. And it says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what I think this really shows me is that it shows us what was driving Jesus. What was his motivation? Was his motivation to prove that he was humble? I would say no. It was his motivation to only just to serve people. It was his motivation to kind of get something in return. No, no, no. What was driving Jesus was obedience to his father. When that is our motivation, it'll change a lot of what we do and how we do it. This obedience to the father drove him even to the place of death. And here's what shouts out to me, and it's connected to the Lord's humility, so bear with me. I'm still thinking about this a lot. Jesus, being willing to obey the Father so much so, even to the point of death, reveals to me, at least, that he had a very strong eternal perspective. Eternity was very real to Jesus. He knew that the 30 to 33-ish years that he walked on the earth was not the end of the story. And because he knew that, that allowed him to walk in a great sense of humility. Because he knew that what he could get and what praise he could receive and what exaltation he could, could get from man on the earth was not the end of the story. And so for me, as I'm chewing on this, I'm like, wow, how much do I believe that I'm going to stand before you one day and like this, that's just going to be the beginning. It's going to be the beginning of, of my life. It's not just here on this earth. I just want to be in awe. Like you understood that so much and it drove you to this place of humility and I want that too. So Jesus was not doing what he was doing, obedient to the Father, walking humility just to get something in return. But he knew that his Father in heaven saw everything that he was doing. And he knew that his Father would re reward him eternally. So let's just think about this for a second. Let me just read it one more time. And I, again, I want you to, to just think about Jesus. Don't think about yourself. Don't think about me. Don't think about how we're going to do this yet. Just We're going to get there. But I want us to see how humble Jesus is, considering that he's this great, glorious God, equal with God. Let's read it one more time. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to held onto tightly. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Just pause for a second. And I would love you to just close your eyes for a second. I want to just thank the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your humility. Thank you so much for giving up the right 
to put us in our place all the time. Thank you that you didn't hold so tightly to your deity that you shamed us or condemned us all the time. But Lord, you're so humble. You emptied yourself. You gave yourself up. You were obedient to the Father, even unto death. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your humility. I pray we'd think about it today. We'd think about it tomorrow. And Lord, you'd transform us as we think about your humility. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. It's good. What I wanted to also just show you right there is, is I will, what I just did right there as I read through Scripture is something that I would do personally in my own time with God. So as you're reading through Scripture, I would encourage you to just take the moments to pause and thank the Lord for what you just read. This is a way to kind of build this, this sense of we don't just like check this off our list, but we're engaging with the author. We're engaging with the living God as we read his word. All right, let's keep going. So here's, here's how we're going to kind of wrap things up is we just, we're thinking about the humility of the Lord. We're pausing to consider how humble he is. So, but then the next question is, how do we respond? How do we respond to the message of humility? One, we've, we've kind of already been doing it. We just, we get wowed by Jesus, and we say, thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you that you're so humble. Keep showing me how humble you are. That's the first step. You guys tracking with me? It's pretty, pretty simple so far. The second step is also really easy. You just live a humble life. All right? Just like last week, you know, talk about his holiness. What's the next step? Be holy. So the next step for us is we live a humble life. Now, let me, let me talk about this for a second here. Um, it literally, it's the beginning of this passage I just read. It's actually an exhortation to these, the Philippian church. of hey, says, He says, have this mind in you. It's also in Christ Jesus. Then talks about his humility. But let's back up just a little bit. Verse 1 of chapter 2, you can track along with me. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Romans 12, another verse uh, that really speaks about humility, says, live in harmony with one another. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So let me talk about this for, for a little bit. This message is not, this message is not for you guys. I just got to let you know. I was preparing this morning. I was just thinking about what all, all the things I'm going to say that are going to be hard to hear if we really think about it. And I was like, oh, this message is for me. So I'm just inviting you in to what God is doing in me. <laughs> all right? So bear with me. And, you know, honestly, this is like the worst place to be is to preach a message on humility. This is the worst. <laughs> okay? This is like a lose-lose. <laughs> and I say that funny because, like, God will hold me very accountable to everything I'm about to say. And he'll hold me actually more accountable than you, uh, according to James 3, verse 1. It says, let, let not many of you become teachers because you will be judged more strictly. Now, he meant like teachers of the word, not like teachers in school. So, Brooke, you're, you're okay. A couple other teachers, okay. You'll be all right. <laughs> so, bear with me, but I, I'm coming after me. That's what I'm doing this morning. I'm coming after me. And I'll invite you in if you want to put yourself in my shoes, all right? Here's... A life of humility starts in the mind. You could say hard, but it starts internally, I'll say. Because verse 5, he says, have this mind in you. Or some translations say, I don't know if anybody um, has 
maybe NASB, but I think it says, have this attitude in you as well that was in Christ Jesus. It starts with the way that we think about ourselves and the way that we think about others. You ever, <laughs> I know this is crazy, you ever had, know of anybody that's like critiqued another person in a place of leadership that they're not in? <laughs> no, you don't know anybody in me either. It's not happening in this generation, you know. Have you ever had somebody like, man, if I was doing this, I would, if I was doing this, I would, if I, so that, I would suggest, would be a way in our mind and in our attitude that we're not operating in humility, because we're putting ourselves in shoes that we're not in, and we don't realize that what we're doing is we're putting our current circumstances and emotions and feelings of my life into this person's life, and we don't consider what are the feelings, the emotions, the pressures that that person might be feeling that it causes them to do or say certain things? And so it's an unfair judgment and assessment of someone's life, and then we begin to be prideful in thinking that we could do it better. So first point I want to make and have us consider is the thoughts that run through our mind and the attitude that we carry in anything that gets close to this place of, I could do it better, I could do it better, I could do this, I think this... I would say, let's consider another way that it may be more humble. Now, let me pause as I keep going because some other things I say might be hard to hear. The me- a message on humility, you know what's so interesting about this? The message on humility, you know who it's for or who receives it? The humble. The humble receive messages on humility because the prideful don't have any pride. They're good. They don't have anything to repent for. They don't have any pride. I mean, they, they're fine. They, the prideful reject messages on humility because they don't need it. They're already good. And so I want to thank you for being humble to receive this message, and I want to just say yes and amen to those of you in this room that I know walk in a spirit of humility because you will receive what I say this morning, and it will change you. And for those of you that don't have any pride issues, congratulations. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll catch up to you. But here's why I would consider us taking this message seriously. Here's a couple reasons, and really it's just like, here's all the pros of living a humble life according to Scripture. A lot of Proverbs, a couple Psalms on here. Why I think we should take it seriously. I think we have a slide for that. There it is. Why pursue humility? Because according to Proverbs, it says, Toward the scorners, he, God, will be scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. How many of you guys want favor on your life? Anybody? Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. How many of you guys like to have honor in your life? Me too. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. How many of you guys want that? Me too. Psalm 147, verse 6, says, The Lord lifts up the humble, but he casts the wicked to the ground. Let me pause on this one for a second. Remember the definition of humility or humble? It means go really, really low, not far from the ground. So according to Psalm 147, we're going to be on the ground either way. (laughs) It just depends on what direction you're going from the ground. Either God's throwing you down or he's beginning to lift you up from the ground. Psalm 25, verse 9, he leads the humble in what is right (laughs) and teaches the humble his way. I love this. This is so funny. Because when I am acting so prideful, I think I'm so right. But I'd rather be right by God's leadership than my own. He leads the humble 
in what is right. And he teaches the humble his way. Let me give you one more verse. It was, it was too good to put in this list. So it's got its own slide here. Psalm, uh, Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2. It says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things come to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is amazing. The Lord is saying, you can't build me anything that's going to impress me. You can't, you can't do anything that's going to, like, wow me. You can't make me something that I'm going to be, like, want to come to. He's like, he, but here's what attracts me. Here's what I'm looking for. A humble heart. Someone who's contrite. Someone who trembles at my word. And I want to be that kind of man. Another reason I would say, or some other reasons to consider pursuing a humble life or humility would be some of the consequences. Let me just, I'm, all I'm going to do is going to read two passages, all right? And I'll summarize two consequences. Okay, James 4, 6 through 10. Bear with me. This is, this is difficult to read, but it's the Word of God. How many of you guys want all of the Word of God? Not just the nice parts. <laughs> I want all of it. Okay, James 4, 6 through 10. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 5, 5-9. says, likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The next verse, verse 10, talks about how after going through suffering and trial, he'll strengthen us and restore us and confirm us. But do you guys notice something about those two passages, written by different authors, but quoting the same Old Testament uh, passage? It quoted the same thing, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You guys track with me? Okay. Now, here's one thing I for sure don't want. God's opposition. I don't want to be opposed by God. I might be opposed by others and, and, and get, you know, whatever constructive feedback, or I might get people that are really accuse me, but man, if I, I don't want, there, if there's one person I don't want opposing me, that's God. So when we walk in, in pride, we get God's opposition. But did you notice anything else similar that was talked about right after that mention of God opposing us? Did you notice anything? It kind of said almost the same thing. Both talked about resisting the devil. Do you see that? Okay, it talks about, hey, you're, the devil prowls around like a rolling lion. Or James 4, it says, hey, submit to God, resist the devil. So here, here's something I've been chewing on and thinking about. It's given us amazing instructions to resist the devil, but it's in the context of ensuring that we're not walking in pride. Because you know what pride does? It opens the door for the enemy. Not only do we have God's opposition, but now we have an open door that the enemy can come against us. And so to me, as I think about this, I'm like, man, I for sure don't want God's opposition, and I for sure don't want to open any doors to the enemy. 
Now, either way, praise God that he is merciful and he is gracious. And if we ever, in any moment, we decide to humble ourselves, man, God pours out his favor and his blessing. All these other verses that we read. But it takes a heart that's willing to say, all right, I'm going to humble myself before the Lord. So I gave you a lot to consider. And, but really, this message kind of goes nowhere without us personally responding to the Lord. I mean, you can be wowed and thinking about his humility, and it will help us all, and we just, wow, thank you that you're humble. But when, it, when you want it to become something that changes and marks your life and my life, we need to personally respond to the Lord. And so we're going to do that in just a minute and do a little activity together and have us respond to the Lord. And in just a second, you're going to receive a little um, kind of resource that's called pretty much um, what does brokenness and humility look like. And this is um, a detailed resource that um, a ministry put together that really emphasized wanting to be a people that walk in humility. And it gives some really clear, more, um, more specific examples of potential mindsets or thoughts that could be either arrogant and prideful or that could be humble and broken. And when I mean broken, look, this is what I mean. Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17 says, You will not delight... For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This is what God is looking for, is a broken and a contrite heart. When I say broken, I don't mean just like the brokenness of all of our sin, but what I mean is someone that's not hardened and prideful, but one that's broken before the Lord, humble before him. So you're receiving, I think, this sheet. Why don't you turn it over on the back so it don't distract you just yet because there's some really good stuff on here and convicting stuff. Turn it over so that you don't get too distracted yet. So I want to just tell a quick testimony of the first time I, um, I guess, received a message like this. It was so clear about the Lord's humility and about us walking in humility. And I went over this resource. This was maybe 10 years ago. And I just remember feeling just the weight of the Lord's conviction because I literally read this sheet and I was like, I think every thought on the left side of this column and I'm not supposed to be on the left side. <laughs> I'm supposed to be on the other side. And there's just a sense of conviction. There's a sense of need for the Lord. And I remember I, uh, I got up after this session and I was reading through this and I was talking to God. I was repenting for some things and, and um, I remember turning around because the pastor said, hey, why don't you grab, grab somebody next to you and pray for, pray for each other, that we would just walk in greater humility. And so at this point, though, I was so convicted, I was crying and, and uh, just repenting for the Lord. And I turned around to this guy who tapped me on the shoulder and, like, wiped off all my snot and stuff. It was just a glorious moment. And he, like, kind of looks at me. He's like, oh, oh. His, kind of, his response was, are you okay? And maybe I should take this a little more seriously. So I see him, like, looking over the list again. It's hilarious. But all, all I want to say is, um, you know, despite what your reaction might be or what your response is emotionally, um, my hope is that we, we are able to receive these things, think about them, and genuinely consider them before the Lord, and then come before Him in honest response and honest humility and ask Him for grace and ask Him for help. So I'm not the answer to walking in humility. Your neighbor is not the answer to walking in humility. And honestly, we never arrive. This is a process that we go to over and over again. You know what else is funny? Is once you start walking in humility, it gets harder. 
because people encourage you and tell you how humble you are. And then you get prideful about how humble you are. And here we go again. <laughs> Literally, I had a few people encourage me that I was humble the other day. I was like, thank you. But dang, this is about to get harder, isn't it, Lord? And so we're in this together. We're on this journey, continuing to humble ourselves before the Lord. And so here's what we're going to do. The band's going to come on up, and they're going to kind of be doing this, um, going through this resource right before we get into um, uh, worship again. But here's how it'll work. Hopefully the directions will make sense. You can stay in your chair for now if you want to and just kind of read over this, and I would take it slowly. Even if you want, you can have a pen and just, like, check off or circle the ones that are like, oh, wow, I really struggle with this. You can kind of highlight it or put a star next to it. First time I did this, I had about, you know, 50 stars on the left side. I was like, yep, every single one of these, yep. <laughs> and then what I want to do is just not rush our time, but give us an opportunity to respond to the Lord. And so the front is open. We literally made some more room. And if you are feeling convicted by the Lord and you want to respond to him and you want to come and kneel up here towards the front as we are starting to worship, then you are more than welcome to do that. You don't have to wait for any directions. You can literally do that whenever you want to. Just, again, as a way to, like, humble ourselves before the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, we want this. You're so humble, and I want your humility in me. So does those directions make sense? Yes? Nod your head. It does? Great. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then let's start working through this. And whenever you're ready, you can come up here and respond. And if you come up here to the front, kneel down. There might be a few of our leaders that come and just put a hand on their shoulder and just begin to pray for you and just ask the Lord for grace. So, Father, here we are. We ask you to speak to us. We ask that you would convict us in fresh ways this morning and that our heart would be soft and we'd be able to receive what you want to do in us this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you're so humble. And Lord, I pray you would mark us this morning with a fresh humility in our lives. In 